0: This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics. Their developer toolkits provide world class controls targeting Windows, web, iOS, Android, Forms, and more. Whether you're an individual developer or part of an enterprise team, they have something for you. Check out the latest today at infragistics.com. Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 64. This week, we talk with Jerry Nixon about XAML becoming famous and hamburger menus. Jason builds a band app in 15 minutes, and Carl builds a telepresence robot. This week, we have Jerry Nixon, developer evangelist with Microsoft, living in Colorado and author of The Developer's Guide to Windows 10. How's it going, Jerry?
1: It's going fantastic, Jason. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here.
0: Excellent. We're excited to talk to you.
1: It's like a dream come true, man. I just have to tell (laughs) you Liar. (laughs) I have been listening to this show for so long. You guys are hilarious, and I... I'm, I, lo- I learned so much from you guys. It, you wouldn't think that, right? You would yeah. think that if I work for Microsoft, then I've got to know everything. But that's not true at all. You guys are, always are educating me in the funniest way. So I'm glad to be on the show. Thank I you. I didn't
0: even know that. <laughs> I didn't know how many you've listened to or anything like that. So,
1: well, I've listened to like, like three. Awesome. Right? Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's just about all of them. <laughs> Long time listener. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. And how's it going, Carl? It's going pretty good, Jason. Okay. Let's talk about this awesome feedback that we got on the last episode.
2: Yeah, this is from Thomas Vadian. Uh, he contacted us on Twitter or on Facebook. I'm sorry. He said, uh, Thanks, MS Dev Show, for schooling me on Azure Service Fabric. I work in a web dev shop that primarily relies on Amazon AWS. And when Amazon Lambda came out, we were excited with the promise of high scalability and resilient systems without having to get into the murky architectural complexities of building such solutions. But the languages that are supported by AWS Lambda, Java, and Node.js are not exactly music to the ears of a .NET dev. Then I heard about Azure Service Fabric on this episode, and I break out into it my happy dance. Thanks, Mark Fussell, and thanks, Jason and Carl, for another great show.
0: That was an awesome comment. So I actually passed that on to uh, Mark Fussell, because I figured he'd get a kick out of that as well. He likes the happy dance. dance,
1: (laughs) What's more rewarding than watching developers dance?
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay, so he is our winner of the Infragistics Ultimate License, right, Carl?
2: Yeah, and if you want to uh, enter yourself into win, just comment to us on Twitter, on Facebook, on web, on our website. Leave an iTunes review; that even makes you eligible, and we love getting iTunes reviews. It helps. Uh, promote us a little bit in that store and gets the word out to more people. And uh, like I said, this is a $2,000 uh, license that you'll be getting. So it's pretty easy way to win. And if you contact any of our previous winners, they were all flabbergasted themselves when they got it. Right. And if none of those
0: methods work for you, you could do like singing messenger or send us a letter or a package. Sort <laughs> a happy dance. Yeah, you, you could send a, a happy dance messenger. That would work as well. Okay, let's jump into the news. So what do we got here? Introducing web tiles for Microsoft Band. This is really cool.
2: Yeah, uh, Scott Hanselman uh, uh, wrote this post on how to get a web tile on your band. And he had a really novel use for it. If you follow him at all, you're uh, very aware that he is uh, vocal about uh, his diabetes. And now he uh, showed how to get his diabetes current information on his Microsoft Band. And I just think this is really cool. Um, You can actually... Use the same technique that we use for the live tile on our website to get that on the band. This is super simple to do. It takes yeah, very so how little. How do we get
0: this up and up and running for the MS Dev Show?
1: <laughs> it actually That'd be awesome.
2: It actually wouldn't take much, and you could have the last couple episodes uh, notified on your wrist. Okay, so I have a surprise for you, Carl. <laughs> I actually I
0: implemented this right before the show. Oh, really? Yeah. Awesome. I it's still not showing up on the website for some reason, but I do have the web tile file. So it's supposed to be msdevshow.com/band.webtile, and that downloads the uh, the manifest and the icons. For some reason, I'm having some issues with the icons, although I'm running a different version of the band software, so it might work fine on yours. So we'll have to test that out and work out the bugs. But yeah, it shows uh, it'll show an indicator as to the number of like uh, new episodes. Um, and that since you opened the the tile the last time, and then you can actually scroll through the the different episodes and see the titles and the descriptions. It uh, doesn't let you listen to them or anything like that, but uh, I don't know. It's still kind of cool. and it took uh, probably about fifteen minutes to to make one. Um, there's a web based tool that you can actually walk through that that uh, Scott has linked to. Uh, it's the Web Tile Authoring Tool, and uh, if you have an RSS feed or a JSON feed, you can actually just go in there and like it's just like drag and drop. Like I didn't write any code whatsoever, so it was pretty cool. So I like this. This is uh, this is really cool.
2: Yeah, that's really awesome.
0: Yep. Uh, okay, what else we got here? Project Westminster in a nutshell.
2: Yeah, there was a blog post recently on the Building Apps for Windows blog uh, just going over what Project Westminster is. And if you recall from Build, that is the bridge that brings your web app into a universal Windows platform. Mm-hmm. And it allows you to deploy that into the store, but still run from the web. So if you want uh, to get the, the high-level uh what it takes to make that happen if you have a web app or if you have one in mind that you want to make you can add these additional integration pieces to to make that feel like a a nice native application and bring it into the store and distribute it in yet another way
0: yeah so like what would be the advantage of doing this for the msw show and i haven't done this that's not a surprise (laughs) (laughs) just just so you're not disappointed in a few minutes
2: (laughs) well if we had an app like experience on the website which we really don't uh, it, this would be a way of getting those features uh, into the store and installable as an application with uh, very little additional coding. Yeah, because we get like live tiles and things like that, right? I th- which I think we have already, correct? Yes, but that's using a cheating technique. It's, <laughs> okay. it, it, it's well, it's not cheating, but it's it's not using like yeah, we just fully, fully yeah, defined yeah, we're just live tiles. and
0: we're just using like one feature of of uh, of that. Whereas this, I think you can do like navigation and sharing and stuff like that. This is much more.
1: Uh, Deep functionality.
0: Pretty cool. Okay, what do we got next here? Windows Windows 10. Hey, you know what? Not everybody
1: knows, but Project Westminster, it's a big uh, DX kind of thing. uh, Yeah. Really been championed by the DX team. Yeah. Yeah.
0: If you go to wat.codeplex.com, you can see the ancestry of that. Um, I don't know if that's been updated at all or codeplex.com. I was going to go out there and see what it looks like. Yeah, there was an early framework that you could use that had some functionality out there. That's still out there. So there's there might still be some features in there that haven't been uh, pushed into Windows. But yeah, that's pretty cool. Thanks for pointing that out. Let's see. Uh, Windows 10 application development tool. What is this, Carl?
2: Yeah, so as we get closer and closer to the release of Windows 10, we're just going to get a lot more of these uh, you know, helpful pieces coming out and finalized. And what this is, is if you have an application that you want to deploy or sideload, onto your device this is just a a tool that lets you do that really quickly so that uh you have to have a developer unlocked phone Mm -hmm. uh but that's usually just uh going into the settings and hit developer mode in that in that box once you do that you can use this tool to uh take anything that was been in visual studio and compiled already and bring that onto that device without needing visual studio okay so if if you've gotten an output save somewhere or you know from a CI uh server or something that you can uh access publicly, but you don't necessarily have Visual or Studio or something to hook up to your device. This is a nice way to just get it out there.
0: Okay. I remember one time you sent me an Apex package and you're like, here you go. Here's this app. And I'm like, what the heck am I supposed to do with this?
2: Yeah. And and not jumping ahead too far, but I I placed a last minute news item on here that where this would have come in really handy. So we'll talk about that in a couple of stories. Well, do you want to cover that one next? Sure. Yeah, let's just jump to it. So um, uh, if you're not aware, I'm a consultant and and I got permission to talk about this from the client that I'm at. Uh, I'm at JJ Keller. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what they do is every, uh, six months they have a corporate hackathon. They don't call it that they call it something else, but essentially it's a, it's a corporate sponsored hackathon and you have one day to do whatever it is you want. As long as the next day you present on it and you have a deliverable. So what, uh, I did with, uh, actually an intern and an architect there is we found that there is, uh, uh, you guys are familiar with the Roomba, right? Yep. They, they make a dev- developer version of this for only $200 that it has all the uh, the motors, the sensors and all that, but doesn't have the vacuum. And that wasn't that was a surprise to me when
0: you, you told me that the other day. I'm like, really? I'm like, that's really cool.
2: Yep. So it's it's made by iCreate or it's iRobot. And it's called the Create2. And it's this nice developer platform. And what we were able to do is we were able to create a few applications that would control this remotely. So you could have, like, place a pedestal and an iPad on top and have a remote telepresence device.
0: Very cool. Have you seen that, Jerry? Have you seen the, the development iRobot?
1: I have seen it. Okay. I can't imagine how awesome it would be to have a telepresence rolling around. My kids could do it. It'd be awesome. I mean, and think about it. I mean, you'd have to add all those pieces. Yeah. So add, like, 200 bucks and then throw an iPad. Can we throw a Surface just for fun? You could. <laughs> yeah. And then... Anything. <laughs> And, the, and and what a baseball bat to hold it up, and so I mean, you're at yeah. under six hundred bucks. That's pretty awesome. Absolutely,
0: yeah. You could do like a use like a Dell Venue Pro eight or whatever for two hundred bucks.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now you're under three hundred. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One of the
0: things, <laughs> that's that's awesome.
2: one of the things we're hoping for is we're hoping to get this working on a Raspberry Pi. We just didn't didn't have the time in a day, but in literally about five hours, we got from hey, here's this thing to we have a remote controllable robot with our custom code so i put all the code up on github you want to check it out go out to my github page we'll have a link to it in the show notes it was totally fun it's totally simple code and we even have a a few remote applications so if you have um either uh, a wpf app that you just want to put on a desktop or if you want on on your phone or tablet we have a, a universal app on there as well they'll send commands over there so all this just has to be on the same network so if you're all connected to the same wi-fi these will all just kind of work together Okay. So in the next version, so they you're going to use- allow
1: you to use that instead of going to work there at the was it JJ Abrams, it- JJ Keller. Um, one of the things is uh, they're
2: actually having a huge hiring initiative and they're looking to hire, like expand the team by 50%. And they're already a pretty large team. Oh, wow. So um, they're really looking for remote workers. And I thought this was a way just to kind of inspire the remote workers that, you know, hey, here's another solution to help you feel like a more integrated part of the team. That's cool. And there, the
1: whole team could just like roll up to the water cooler. <laughs>
2: <look at> each-
0: <laughs> yeah, these are bumping each other. <laughs> that's that's pretty cool. And then the whole hackathon idea there is 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 awesome too. I love it when uh, when companies do that. I think it uh, inspires like an R and D culture, which is which is pretty cool. So for uh, version two, Carl, you're going to use Azure and uh, SignalR, right? That way you can actually use this remote.
2: I was thinking, uh, what was it? Event Hub. Uh that, that, or, yeah or would I would, that,
0: I would probably just use SignalR yeah. Okay SignalR? Yeah, Now, for the telemetry you could use uh Event Hubs that would make sense.
2: Yeah. And, and, and speaking of Azure, my next uh uh news item is uh VM Depot. So mm-hmm. if you if you uh look that up, it uh it's on the msopentech.com page and uh it's a bunch of just uh virtual machine images. So you'll find a whole bunch of Linux, SDKs, Free BSD virtual machine images that you can just kind of uh, use those as reference images up in Azure. So, yeah, it
0: looks like they have like different applications. They're you know different targets in here. This is pretty cool. There's a ton of them too. 113 pages in Ubuntu alone.
2: Yeah, um, and I, I do have to give a little bit of shout out. I did not find this on my own. Um, another Microsoft employee, David Giard, was giving a talk at our local user group about mm. running non Microsoft technologies on Azure, and I was just really impressed by this resource. So, okay, thanks, Dave. Pretty cool.
1: What a great guy. Dude <laughs> He's a terrific guy. You know, about those uh, about the Depot, a lot of people don't realize the value given to them by all the licensing. So they go and install something. I mean, you don't get it for free, mm-hmm. but all the licensing is bundled in that image. So you don't have to go figure out how to, who to pay for the licensing. But at the same time, if you already bought a license internally, like maybe your enterprise or whatever, mm-hmm. then you want to start almost more like from scratch and build up so you can leverage your license instead of the one that's built into the image. You know what I mean?
0: hmm Very cool. Uh, College will soon be a ton cheaper in Washington State thanks to Microsoft. So this one seemed crazy to me, Carl. I read this a a while ago whenever you had posted this. Um, So it was a law targeting. What were the details about what the law targeted? You'd have more than companies with more than 40,000 employees that have been in Washington since before 1981 and that are software companies.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So Microsoft. Gee,
0: Who's that going after? I, I like how it's like generic, you know. Oh, we're not targeting Microsoft. It could be any company that meets <laughs> these criteria.
1: So it so starts with an M. Yeah,
0: yeah, it starts with an M.
1: <laughs> R- rhymes with Microsoft.
0: <laughs> exactly. So, so what's the deal, Carl?
2: So it looks like uh, Microsoft is losing a tax break that they used to have, and as a result, um, they're going to be essentially funding uh, the universities at about thirty percent of what the costs are. So that, I mean, that's just huge. That's a, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So school is uh, still
0: unaffordable, but getting closer to reasonable. If you live in, if
2: you live in Washington.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay.
2: Does the article say the t- tuition will change? Actually, uh, it will not be changing mostly because of this. <laughs> oh, I got oh, it. It's
0: so it's avoiding increases is what's yes. going on. Oh boy. Oh boy. Okay. Well, that's enough of the news. But
1: it'll stay real reasonable that way. That's nice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So that's enough of the news. Let's talk to Jerry. Oh, So Jerry, we got a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. I don't know how we're going to find all the time for this, but let's try to let's try to do our best here.
1: So it's a marathon episode.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing I going to talk about, and, and you and I actually had kind of a funny side conversation on this, but, you know, your your name was all over the tech press recently. And I know it, it's finally been like long enough that I think you feel comfortable talking about it. And uh, I, I got such a kick out of this because I was listening to, I think, like Windows Weekly I had heard it there. I saw it on the verge. I saw it like on every tech site that uh, windows 10 would be the last version of, of windows. And I, I believe that has, you know, been said like in 10 different ways, but somehow, uh, somehow I got, yeah, somehow you got singled out as like, you know, announcing some, some huge, huge thing that it was really like a non-story story. So what, uh, so what happened there?
1: And you know what? This something like this happens all the time. I listen to tons of podcasts, yeah. not just your guys's, and and it's you know it's interesting. I mean, I'm in a lucky place where I get to know a couple of things before yeah you know, anybody knows publicly, and it's really interesting to listen to podcasts as they start to tease out what they the patterns that they see. Yep. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, okay, this has happened, this has happened, this has happened. Therefore, that. And you know, I'm driving along, and my hands are in the air. I'm like, no, yeah, you, you what, totally what, got, what got what it wrong this do? time. Yeah, yeah. And so then, you know, you being me might be speaking, let's pretend, at Ignite and mistakenly <laughs> reiterate something that the company has already said publicly, right? That that Windows is moving into a service model mm-hmm. where it's going to be updated and updated and updated and updated rather than these major monolithic versions, right? Which you could potentially reword if you were... <laughs> um, Mistakenly doing it, they might accidentally say this is the last version of Windows. When what you meant to say was this is the last monolithic version of Windows. Doesn't matter if some you know really smart guy like Tom Warren happens to be in the audience, he will scribble into his notebook. Hypothetically as fast speaking, as <laughs> yeah, just hypothetically, you know these guys scribble into their notebook as fast as possible. These uh, kind of it's funny because the t- the tagline or the you know the title was definitely link bait. You know it was crazy. Why is Microsoft Absolutely. saying this is the last version of Windows? But when you read it, it was actually a well balanced right. kind of in context. He even got, um, I even got an, an official statement from corporate PR that basically said, "Yeah, Jerry's got it right, but we wouldn't have said it that way." You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And, but it was hilarious, man. I was everywhere. Every, I mean, it was the BBC that first got it, like started making it um, fun, right? Because the BBC <laughs> changed my title from developer evangelist to uh, developer executive. I mean, yeah. <laughs> wow. Was, uh, uh, oh yeah. yeah. Did that was, come with uh, a pay increase? One of them, Uh, Well, that's what I thought. I'm like, I'm taking this article forward into HR because they obviously don't know.
0: Yeah, Yeah, HR, you've somehow messed up my title. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, There was a newspaper in in Italy, and I was uh, director of all Windows development. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was super awesome, actually. (laughs) But, uh, actually it never changed. I'm still developer evangelist in Colorado, still kind of a lowly guy, just happened to say something exciting, kind of in a period of time when there wasn't very much going on. So it just kind of went
0: like, it went telephone game is what happened.
1: Yeah. At a, at a every one scale. of them was slightly different. That's right. Yeah. I've seen that too. The, and the the even, even the
0: Paul Theroux has complained about that. Like he'll he'll say something, uh, he'll have an article, and, and he, you know, he always tries to remain extremely factual. And then it just as it keeps getting repeated, it just keeps morphing into something that was completely unrelated to the original story.
1: I feel like it's I feel like it's a mixture of people trying look, they're like, I don't want to plagiarize your article, so I'm gonna rewrite it a little bit. Yeah. And they rewrite it in all the wrong ways. Yep. And I also think it's a little bit of you know, I, I in the BBC uh, one, I'm like, well, maybe developer evangelist wasn't a, a high enough credential to really make this an interesting article, but developer executive would be. I mean, I'm, I don't want to impugn them. Well, actually, that. in Europe, they, they don't. Do you,
0: you know, well. like uh, like we don't. Whenever I go over to Europe, we don't we don't say we're evangelists. That's like bad over there. So that might be why that might be why it's the a BBC tricky change. title yeah. even here, man. I know, yeah. I know.
1: <laughs> I mean, how many times has somebody said you're a what? I'm like, yeah, that's.
0: Uh, that's, I usually don't say that. I have to get my
1: card out. I'm like, it really is what it is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so I I don't hit anybody on the head or anything, but it's sort of that sort of deal. Yeah. Anyway, that was a fun time. That was a fun time for just about. Four hours. I thought for sure I was going to be fine, with, but um, <laughs> you know, then it all kind of. You know, it's a new world at Microsoft. Yeah, it's not the way it used to be. If this was the old Windows 8 world where they governed every word and every you know whole vocabulary, you could say this but not that. Yeah, I would have been in serious. Well, that's, a while, but that's a good point. That's a good point. This didn't happen. You know, this is we're really you know Microsoft's a better place today than it was three years ago. To be honest, absolutely. And especially for field evangelists like me, where we we have to say something. And mm-hmm. just to tell us we can't say anything, that was really a difficult season. It's so, it's so much better now, so much better. And that's what I was trying to say, even in that Ignite talk. I'm like, we're, because, my, it's because we're not trying to build the next super version of Windows, we're all working on the same thing now, so we can all talk about it, and it's exciting yep. still to, today, rather than always focused on two years from now.
0: No, what you, what you said absolutely made sense, and it, it's, just, it's just hilarious how that got blown up. Ah, what do you do? Yeah, yeah. What do you do? Actually, it's pretty cool, because yeah. it's a cool story now. So it's good that it happened. I was
1: hoping my 15 minutes of fame would have been more famous-like. You <laughs> or, know, maybe or
0: like monetary. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> or less terrifying. Yeah. yeah. All those things. All those things. Awesome. <laughs> right. But, you know, part of the reason I could say that um, was because of this um, Developer's Guide for Windows 10 Microsoft Virtual Academy course. Mm-hmm. In March, we released a two-day course. And then in June, right after build, we released a three-day course. And so that's a lot of information. And I, there is nothing scarier than releasing that large of uh, volume of information at all. Forget about anything else. Yeah. But pre-RTM, when you know that, you know, some things are on a chopping block. They may not make this build, you know, they may be in the next update or whatever, and you're trying to put it together you, and no marketing has been released, no documentation out there. So everything we say is sort of, you know, that's the first marketing statement of it's it. It's kind of the know?
0: canonical example then, yeah.
1: Yeah, it was it was it made me super nervous but it gave me a lot of information because it allowed me to talk to all the different product teams and talk to their PMs and say things like what do you want me to say? Like, how do you want me to describe this feature? Right. And they'll tell me, and I'm like, "Well, that's the dumbest thing ever." You know yeah. what I mean? And I'm like, "Oh, yeah, you don't get it." it. Yeah, <laughs> I might say it a better way, <laughs> but for the most part, it was it was anyway. But that made it so that I knew a lot was going on because I'm talking to yeah. all these PMs, and so people mistakenly thought I was like super inside when that really wasn't it. I was just trying to put together this course. It was cool. Yeah, cool. awesome.
2: All right, so. Uh, we're going to talk today a lot about XAML, a lot about universal apps. But not not everybody that listens to this show is, you know, a client developer. Some may be into, you know, web development or whatever. So can you briefly explain explain what uh, the XAML technology is and what the state of
1: XAML is right now? Um yeah, oh my gosh, I love talking about XAML. I think <laughs> I feel like I am the XAML evangelist. You got them all man. excited now, Carl. I don't I don't know
0: if we <laughs> can yeah. calm them back down.
1: So um all right, so let's set the stage. There, there are some developers who don't know what XAML is, but it's not a lot. I right? mm-hmm. most get the gist of what it is, but for the sake of anybody who may not know. Um, so let's go all the way back and, in 30 seconds. We'll just look at the history of it. Mm-hmm. So um, in 2006, that was WPF, Windows Presentation Foundation. And it first released um, the first skew, or the first specifica- spec for um, XAML. And that was really the, kind of the grandfather of XAML. And it, it, that spec grew and grew and grew over the years. And it's the desktop solution, right? When you build a line of business application, on the desktop, more often than not, people are picking WPF. I mean, you still see maintenance. You still see tons of maintenance work going on in like WinForms and stuff like that. And there was a big push for a little while going everything web, but all that sort of died down, and the, pen, the pendulum has sort of swung back. Mm-hmm. And WPF is still sort of that go-to. And then along came um, that. What about WPF in the browser? And so that was WPF itself tried to go into the browser, and then they rewrote it. Oh, yeah, it, it was like WPF, Xbap, right? Eh, no, it was. Was that was I thought it was WPFE. Was XPAP the other name? Oh, XPAP was the file extension. Yeah, you're yeah. exactly right. And, yeah, I just um, remembered that. Yeah, yeah. Great job. That's a serious <laughs> request because nobody does XPAP now, right? And, uh, but it's all desktop stuff, and click once sort of took over where XBabbit right. left off, and everybody was pretty happy with it. Anyway, and along came uh, Silverlight, and Silverlight was a big deal because it rewrote the execution engine. So the rendering engine of, um, of WPF was all written in managed code, which was an unbelievable accomplishment if you think about it. Everything done in C-sharp, so they could, they could knock it out so fast, but it had some inherent problems, and one of them was... Um, it couldn't execute on a Mac, right? No way. Mm-hmm. And so they had they had to be re- rewritten in C, of course. And um, that's the execution engine then for uh, for Silverlight. Then Silverlight, of course, uh, Silverlight died because Steve Jobs kind of killed it when they when he killed Flash, right? And all kinds of bad. I'm talking about Microsoft. Microsoft really does a great job at some things and a terrible job at others. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, is developer communication, right? When, and when we said um, Silverlight is dead, oh my gosh, you might as well just drop the hammer on a baby. I mean, it's just the worst thing that could have happened. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so uh, Silverlight started fading away quickly because it was like look, there's no more plugins in a browser. What do you want us to do? And exactly. That, mean, that
0: is the point that I always make to people is yeah, hey, it's it they, just
1: they're so mad. Yeah, wasn't, like, look at just
0: <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't us. Like you can't blame us for killing Flash.
1: No, and exactly. They, and, they really and you can't blame us for market together. forces on the industry, yeah. too. right? Yeah. Things are going to naturally happen, like it or not. Microsoft can't change the market. Right. And it is what it is sort of thing. And so that team, that's a bunch of smart guys building Silverlight. And so they weren't thrown away. They got moved over to Windows Phone. Windows Phone, using this Silverlight specification of XAML, um, and a lot of the, the engine itself brought over, and they basically were ready. They made it so Phone was ready so, so fast. Mm-hmm. So Windows Phone 7 was pure... I mean, in a lot of ways, it was like running Silverlight. Right. I mean, it was like running the Silverlight browser plug-in on a phone sort of deal. And, but that shifted, right, because then along comes Windows, and there was this big to-do, whether or not Windows was going to use HTML or, or XAML as its primary UI platform. And for a little while, everybody was deluded into thinking everything was going to be HTML. I mean, that's ridiculous. But it was sort of how it was headed, and people didn't understand like, that we're setting up a, an entire platform here. And, uh, and there were a lot of loud voices and a lot of angry voices, right? So you get all the XAML guys from Silverlight, and they're all mad, and all they're doing is blogging and tweeting how angry they are, and then the loud voices inside Microsoft in the meantime are all talking about, hey, this is cool. A little new shiny thing of HTML5 and JavaScript. You can write an app for it. And they and people put one and one together, and they came up with three instead of two by mistake because they didn't know any better, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, But now you see the new XAML. So, that was, so the XAML is four steps. You get WPF, then you go into Silverlight, then you go into Windows Phone, and then the new XAML is the XAML we refer to sometimes as Jupiter. That's the the jupiter xaml now i think officially referred to it as windows xaml the winrt xaml that runs on windows that's now brought into over the phone which really is the future of xaml mm-hmm. all the other xamls um, really don't have as bright a future as winrt xaml period because that's where all the investment in microsoft's going okay wpf is definitely still around you see new versions coming out and all these new tooling and so if i were, if it was my check today and i was writing it you know my money i would absolutely be building a wpf application for my business but if I was writing a Windows 10 app, obviously I'm going to be writing an, a XAML app and using Windows XAML.
0: Right. And a lot of those skills going to transfer over. I mean, if you've been doing WPF and you want to write a yeah. a Windows app now, I mean, is it it's the same.
1: Yeah. It,
0: it's essentially the same XAML skills, right?
1: Well, you know, I mean, there's there's the marketing answer is yes, but the, the honest answer is no. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, you're going to feel really comfortable. I mean, just imagine, just take yourself back to college when you were learning HTML. Mm-hmm. Those skills do translate into right. modern web development Kind of, right? There's been some changes. If you don't know jQuery, you're not going to know. I mean, HTML5 really is different, even though fundamentally it's just HTML. So, yeah, they definitely will come over, but don't expect not to have to learn stuff. But we're developers. That's what we do. Yeah.
0: Because I've never been really a XAML expert. I've always had to do a little bit of XAML. And for me, like, I've never, I've gone, uh, I've probably done an equal amount of WPF and Silverlight. And then I've also done some phone development in XAML. And for me, like each step, like I, I didn't feel a huge difference because I was never like a, a complete master of that. Like you probably have like this huge list in your head. Like, well, this is different. This is different. And this is different. But yeah. at least from my perspective, it wasn't that big of a deal. It, it always felt well, like the same thing to me.
1: And it's this idea of things starting over. So Mm -hmm. uh, you know, WPF's been around for so long now, um, almost 10 years. So it's super mature and super rich and all these features and on and on. And some of those features are a cost, right? I mean, they make your application slow if you use them in the wrong way. And more than likely, developers use them in the wrong way. That's kind of our gift, you know? And then when you look at Jupyter or Windows XAML, Windows XAML is quite new. And so it's missing a lot of the features that WPF has. So WPF developers, sometimes they'll come over. And the hardest part, is just not having what they expect. Something like um, something like um, er- uh, handling errors, mm-hmm. right? Notification framework around handling errors. Um, just, I mean, that's not there in Windows XAML today. I mean, it's absolutely on the roadmap. We know it. It almost made it in this build, by the way, but it just didn't. And so you look at it and you're like, oh, my gosh, how am I supposed to do any kind of error handling? Not error handling. What, what's the word I'm looking for? Validation. Oh, validation, yep. For. Yeah, validation is is what's not there right now. But I mean, it's all written and ready to go, right? You're going to see it being rolled into the framework in you know okay. in the future here. Yeah. But um, it's not here now, and so you could make all kinds of assumptions. Oh, because there's no validation framework, clearly it's not meant for line of business applications. <laughs> And you know, that's just right. you can don't don't jump to conclusions too quickly because now we're on a cadence that's gonna make people's eyes bleed, right? It's so fast. We're gonna get new versions of everything so quickly that to say, oh, this isn't there, you're gonna be wrong by the time you put a period on the sentence. Right.
0: No, that's a really good point. And then what about um, what about sharing code? You know, so if you have, you know, your old code base, your old way of, of, of uh you know, sharing your code back in the WPF days, you know, if I sort of evolved with the times um, you know, how complicated is that? Is that is that still work today? I mean, is it going to be painful?
1: Well, no, I mean, I do it. It's not painful for me. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like that guy who learned HTML one, and then two, and then three. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot easier for me to code in, you know, modern versions of it. So it, same thing with SAML, I started from the beginning. So I'm talking from probably from a special case. Mm-hmm. Um, if you um if you have XAML today, assets that you've put a lot of money into, it, right? You've written some controls or a grid or something like that, and you want to bring that over into uh, Windows XAML. Yeah, there is going to be some work because namespaces have changed, but some of the approaches have changed as well. And so to the expectation of just a copy, paste, and rebuild it you are going to be sorely disappointed in that. Yeah. But at the same time, as you start making those changes, you're probably going to be pretty impressed at some of the things that are actually in Windows XAML that you don't get with WPF. And uh, some of those are just almost a obsession with performance. You see some of the changes that are there. Man, it's awesome. A lot of neat stuff that you get. Now it's, it's, we're kind of at a point where some of the cooler features are getting introduced to Windows XAML and then getting kind of backported into WPF, you know, stuff like, uh, compiled binding and things like that. It's pretty cool. Okay.
2: Yeah, that's pretty cool. But another question I had with code sharing. So, you know, uh, a few years ago we got PCLs and then, and we had linked, uh, source files and then there was also, uh, shared projects, um, Are there any other new ways to share code with the newer uh, style universal apps or do all of those old techniques still apply apply equally?
1: Yeah, so certainly all of those techniques still work today. In fact, if I had a Windows 8 application today and I was trying to migrate over, um, what you are not going to do is right-click and say retarget to Windows 10 like you did from 8 to 8.1. There's nothing like that. Mm And then you start looking through Visual Studio. Where's the wizard to upgrade me? Right, That doesn't exist either. And so the migration kind of guidance today is, look, you've already got a dual-headed app. You've already got a shared project and two heads, right? One going to Windows, one going to Windows Phone 8, both the 8.1. Just create a third head, right? One that goes to 10 and use the the same shared project only. Now you can introduce a third um, compilation directive if you need to introduce anything very specific to Windows 10. So then you have all three projects still available so you can still hit like the widest target. Mm -hmm. And so you can sort of hit, you know, all the... All the existing Windows 8, I mean, hopefully that won't be there forever, but you know, all the existing Windows 8 will still be hit there and you can share as much of the code as you can. But when you look at Windows 10, I mean, the reality is there's two ways to look at it. We keep saying things like, look, now you can write one application that will run on all, every device. That sounds really cool, but that's a nightmare, right? <laughs> I mean, every freaking device, you, I mean, just look at the list, right? And so odds are you're going to see professional, um, professional studios really creating multiple headed dev- multiple multiple headed apps anyway makes sense. with the same shared project even if there's no compilation changes in it right. just so they don't have to have um, you know a thousand visual states inside their XAML just so they don't have to have files that really have nothing to do with what they're you know, running on an xbox mm-hmm. things like that so a lot of developers like you and me who just knock stuff out And, of course, I'm talking to Jason here, not you. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Thanks. We just kind of knock stuff out. Um, Yeah, we're going to jam it all into one and use all the techniques that are kind of built into the framework, and we're happy to go. But, you know, really serious developers that have a, a rich, thick code base, oh uh, yeah, they're still gonna use the same techniques. They'll have PCLs. The, some of them will have PCLs for Xamarin's sake, you know, so they can run over on other platforms. Some will have PCLs, because that was kind of the, what they were raised on, and they love it. Uh, others will have shared projects, which I think are pretty awesome in their own right. All of that's still there. We're not deprecating of that way, because it's pretty cool. In fact, a lot of it's been expanded so that you can use it in other project types. So you can, like, normal .NET projects can use shared projects now.
0: But the advice always is to have as much of your business life logic outside of those, you know, multi multi-headed projects as possible, right? Always have them in a shared project or PCL.
1: Man, that is that is a hundred percent right. In fact, if you if you took the time, so there's two types of developers. There there are developers that that are like okay with design patterns mm-hmm. and from time to time they they show up <laughs> and then there are like developers who like rub it in their hair you know yeah. they love it so much and they're like everything's a pattern and they so super abstract everything away till you can't understand it and so somewhere in between those two is a really great sweet spot where everybody should be you know and if you have if you've gone the effort and you're like look we're going to do this right we're going to follow a pattern we're going to abstract this stuff away mm-hmm. we're going to do things in a nice clean Way, your uh, your migration from 8 to 10 is going to be like, is nothing compared to the other guys who are like trying to straighten out all their spaghetti, right? It's just so painful for them. You are going to have a much, much better time, no doubt about it. I will say this though Um, the XAML itself is syntactically identical between 8 and 10. But the layout of the XAML and the way that it's rendered on the screen is not. It means if I have a grid view and it's laid out with a couple of things, and I'm like, I'm just going to copy-paste this stuff over into my new Windows Tim project, you're going to suddenly see your font's not the same size, your margins aren't the same size. Things are. You have to go in and finesse this stuff so it looks good again. You you can't just do a big copy-paste. I wish you could, but um, the underlying uh, measurement system... That changed, and so that's the reason it happened, and it had to change because we're going on all these different devices where you just have to render things in a special Well, and way. it had
0: to be unified, correct. Yeah, that makes sense. Carl, i got to interrupt this for just a second, and I want to talk about Infragistics.
2: Yeah, if you comment uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on our website, you have a chance to win the ultimate license from Infragistics, and this is pretty cool because it covers a lot of stuff. Um, they have controls for... Android, iOS, Windows Phone, Windows 8, ASP.NET, MVC, WPF, jQuery, HTML5, just tons of stuff. And they even have stuff for Xamarin Forms. So if you're trying to hit all three major mobile platforms with one, they got controls to help you out there. If you need tabular stuff uh, with their grids, they got really cool controls to help make that look uh, just really sharp charting gauges barcodes it's all pretty simple using their controls and if you just have some uh, simple prototyping needs they have a product called indigo studio too lets you get that prototype done so you can show this to the stakeholders and you know sell your ideas
0: Yeah, what I love about that, you can just send them a link and they can actually navigate through the app. But uh, what, like you mentioned earlier, all of these controls across all these different platforms, this is great. I mean, most people don't just develop one type of app now. So being able to to go and use these controls in every type of app, all under one ultimate license, is is really big plus.
2: If we don't select you uh, each week, you could try again next week. And if you can't wait, they have free demos, so you can try it out for a month. Download the demos and try it today.
0: Yeah, check it out at infragistics.com. They're a free trial, so you have nothing to lose. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you get the ultimate edition for free, which includes everything. We thank them for their support of the MS Dev Show. So I got a, I got an easy question for you. Is XAML better than HTML, CSS, JavaScript? Yeah,
1: yeah, it totally is. Absolutely, okay. 100%. There's no exception. And it depends on the situation, of course. For sure. Right. If I were writing a if I were writing a, a space app with a you know a million different things sh- coming at me and I'm shooting them and I've got my all these the reality is the HTML canvas is likely gonna outperform the XAML canvas, even though the XAML That's canvas is rendered on the GPU, um, The there's a limit to the number of items that you can have in an HTML canvas before it really starts to degrade. And, you know, it's a disadvantage. You're, you could be on any kind of device, but that's for everybody, right? Um, anyway, let's just make that up. Let's just say it's um, it's 10,000 mm-hmm. items, right? I'm sure it's lower than that, but just make up a number. On If you look at the XAML canvas, it's going to be like 5,000 items, and it really is going to be lower. And um, where you see the the developer productivity kind of come in is when you're doing productivity apps, right? Non-game apps. Mm-hmm. That XAML is unquestionably... I mean, it'd be pointless for me to just like start a religion here and start saying it's superior, but it is really a fantastic developer productivity platform for UI development. Mm -hmm. There's no getting around it. And the bonus of it is it's proven. It has all these techniques. It's got its own design pattern around MVVM. I mean, MVVM came from XAML, right? XAML didn't adopt MVVM. MVVM was created for XAML. And so we have all these neat things, plus you can use managed language behind the scenes. And if you're going to give me a a 5 million line application written in C Sharp, Visual Studio is built to handle that sort of code base to test it and build it and do all those sorts of things. You could do the same thing. You give it to me as JavaScript. Man, I will plot your assassination because it's so so different right yeah and so I can do amazing things with JavaScript and I would be wrong to say I couldn't and I can make it perform in a really great way up to a limit yeah and that limit so just reverse that scale right where job where HTML could go to 10 and and XAML could go to five for creating that like ultra dynamic game it's the opposite when it comes to uh, like C sharp compared to JavaScript mm-hmm. not as far as performance but as far as maintainability and all of it. even performance honestly because now with .NET native, we can compile using the same C++ optimizer almost down to the metal. Right. So it's pretty awesome. JavaScript just, it just doesn't have it. Doesn't mean you shouldn't use it, right? There's still times. But those times are a lot fewer than they used to be. Mm-hmm. Okay. How about that? Sounds good to me. So a lot of people
2: are really excited about Cortana, especially since is going everywhere now. Um, so how, how would they get Cortana into your XAML app? And is there anything new in the Cortana realm?
1: Yeah. Uh. You're absolutely right, right? I mean, it, I think half of the half of the excitement around even Windows Phone was Cortana. I mean, we, even all the keynotes started with it. Lots of the um, ads when it was Siri versus Cortana. I mean, even, and what's funny is I bet Cortana shows up one percent in my daily use right. for Windows Phone, right? Right, so little. But I like it. I mean, from time to time when I use it, yeah, it's pretty great. But it's interesting how like how. It's got such a high profile, but we'll call her her. We'll call her she. And she can do some awesome things. So the coolest probably is not how you get her into your XAMWAP. It's how you keep her out, right? And so um, now you can... um, Now that there's a a universal kind of interface for her that kind of pops up, looks kind of like a start menu, um, now... From there, she can interact with your background task with no UI. You can do all kinds of operations and send back just some feedback that says, okay, we did what you asked, no problem. So that's a big deal, right? I don't even, I even have to run your application. Right. And she can do be basically your UI, which I think is a big deal. The other one that's cool is I can also feed back to her from that background task really rich information. So now, like if you open up Cortana, she'll say things like, hey, I see you're flying to Seattle. You want me to track this flight for you? And she yeah, shows I,
0: I love that the information just comes up without even
1: talking to her. It's beautiful, right. and the way the way that works is um, she has. I keep saying she, but we're rolling with it, right? She has tiles specifications, and you can send back tiles, including just a raw image. So you can send that back and, and show basically anything that you want. And so you see that in the Power BI demo. Do you see that where they asked Cortana yep. to show you know show me my inventory of something? Yeah, up, or, something. or sales awesome by salesperson.
0: Grab. Yeah, it's just it's just phenomenal. Yeah.
1: So so it's How almost do they like do it? they do it. Yeah, it's almost this. like
0: Cortana's not making your app better. Your app is making Cortana better.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Because <laughs> Cortana Cortana is not getting smarter. Yeah. That's right. She's just the front end for all the logic that you yeah. already have. And so you don't it's not like you write a Cortana app and somehow embed that into Cortana. Mm-hmm. You just write your app, Cortana just taps into it. Right,
0: exactly. Exactly, right. exactly and just gives you yeah, you just you're adding features to Cortana, which is which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it is pretty cool. One thing, you know how Cortana asks about your um, about your mail, or not about your, your flight, it's because she's reading yeah. your mail. Of course, you have to let her do that, but then she can't. Right. I mean, you would want your assistant to read your mail, right? That's the idea. And uh, But you know how she gets it. She can read your mail, even if you don't have Outlook installed, because she doesn't. it's not an automation API to tap into like the mail database that Outlook yeah. keeps. Uh, Windows 10 itself um, will check your email for you, and it keeps it in a an operating system level database, all your contacts, all your, ma- everything okay. is all handled there. And she talks to that just like outlook. So then outlook talks to that as well. Oh, it's like I your you. app, whatever I you. it is. That makes you, a lot
0: of right? sense. Right.
1: Yeah. It's really cool. And it, in a way it's like windows phone, like windows phone could always check your email with or without, you didn't know this, but even with or without um, outlook outlook was never doing the work. Right. And, and that's true in windows 10. Windows well, and it's 10, 10, obviously not doing um, that without outlook you like phone.
0: giving it your information or whatever and telling it to do. Oh it. yeah. You got to set yeah, it up. I just want to yeah. make it clear to the listeners. It's not like some creepy thing where it's like, that's hacking awesome. into your email and like reading it before you even set it up.
1: <laughs> right. Microsoft is contracted with Google to get all your personal. <laughs> yeah, we don't.
0: We, we're trying to avoid the next headline here, Jerry. You got to be real careful. I'm your I I'm your PR it. person now.
1: <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. Just,
0: Actually, that's a horrible. You be on horrible my, idea. my speaking tour with me.
1: <laughs> no, it's awesome. You get to tour a lot. it would be great. <laughs> all the travel. Your wife will get upset about it. It'll
0: be yeah great. yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's, uh, let, uh, Carl wanted to, wanted me to ask you about Prism, uh, cause we had Brian Lagunas on a while back and we talked about Prism. So are you a fan of Prism? What's your, what are your thoughts?
1: I'm a big fan of Brian. I can tell okay. you that. What a guy, man. I mean, if anybody was going to become the, the new custodian of Prism, yeah. that's the right guy right. to do it. Oh, right. Absolutely. You, uh, you, you can tell Everybody wants somebody who gets obsessed. Yep. Yeah. He's so obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, let's see, do I like Prism? I love Prism. Prism for WPF, right? Yeah. We're just to be clear. Yep. Right. Yeah, I love Prism for WPF. I mean, I, in a lot of ways, Prism for WPF is what enabled most of the desktop apps that are out there that are significant. Mm-hmm. Like When you see the, the Fortune 500 or even like the Fortune 100 and the WPF apps that run their business, those are mission-critical apps that kind of run the world in a lot right. of ways. And more often than not, they're all leveraging prism because of it and you know why people like prism why developers like prism because they like patterns in the mm-hmm. end and prism comes in and says hey we know we don't know what you're going to do but we know the kinds of stuff you're going to do and you should do it like this and developers love that they just eat it up that's why they like mvc so much too yeah. because mvc gives them so much of a pattern um so yeah i love it um but you might have heard or you may already know that there's prism for store apps Yep, that's what we're going to ask you about next right? Yeah, and so Prism for store apps, totally different. So um, Prism for WPF, uh, the Patterns and Practices teams are the are the original authors, right? And the same thing with store apps. They extracted from that, so it's so it's not all bundled together, um, the MVVM framework that they created, right? I mean, it, it's five files to create an MVVM mm-hmm. frameworks, not a big deal, and... Um, and, the, and Unity for a dependency injection and PubSub events for messaging. Those are the three things that they kind of pulled out to make sure they could use elsewhere. Where else are they going to use it? They use it in Prism for store apps. So Prism for store apps is a, like a simplified framework for Windows 8 applications, to be really, really clear. Mm-hmm. For Windows 8 applications, they okay. 1, um, and that can use uh, Unity, PubSub events, and... Um, and the MVVM framework. So when you install it, you get all four of those. You get the, the base Prism, and, and a lot of people think, oh, Prism, that's a pretty heavy thing. And who cares on a desktop app, right? Because you have plenty of right, horsepower, right. but who wants to run that on a phone? And um, they it, it is not related, right? In that sense, it is not related. It's super lightweight and an awesome choice, and I taught it for several years, right? Go get freaking Prism for Store Apps. When, if you're going to write a Windows 8 app, it'll save you so much time, solve so many problems. Um, the future of Prism for Store Apps is sort of up for grabs to be honest, there, there's there's kind of a custodian or a couple of custodians already chosen, but there's not a lot of headway being made yet. I mean, look, Windows 10 is not even RTM, so what can we say? But at the same time, um, I have wrote wrote I have written a I, <laughs> I, written I believe a that's correct, right? Yeah, so <laughs> as your PR person, it, sort of <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, it's good to know I can rely on you. Yeah, that's great. Absolutely, my grammarian and PR person. Well, anyway, you know when we were doing that uh, developer's guide for Windows 10. That was a big deal, and we needed some sort of framework. Prism was not a choice for us. Um, Prism for store apps was not a choice for us. We needed something. So we wrote Template10, and now Template10 sort of has a life of its own, has legs under it too. And in a lot of ways, I stole tons of features from Prism for store apps, I have to admit, Mm -hmm. Um, but took away some of the things that it required, right? It required you to use... A lot of the stuff people didn't want to use. Like they want to use MVVM Lite whenever they're doing MVM. They want to use MVVM Cross whenever, you know, things like that. So we had to write a framework that enabled. You to use any MVVM framework you want, any messaging framework you want, any dependency injection framework you wanted, and so those were some small. Th- and there were some nuances to Prism that I didn't want to carry all over either. The main one, I mean, honestly, is Prism. The name Prism. Um, it it's already well established and respected in WPF, but because of a because it's a big ready to go sort of framework people think that it's big and they're afraid to put it on their phone so I, we, we didn't want to carry over the name so will prism for sore apps have another life it might i don't know okay. i haven't seen much uh, activity you know it's not brain dead or anything but it's just not moving yeah it's just not moving so yeah i love prism was the original questions <laughs> <laughs> i get paid by the word carl <laughs> exactly <laughs> nice so
2: I'm going to throw a bunch of words out here too. So there's a bunch of new capabilities in XAML itself. Plus there's a whole bunch of new controls for windows 10. I'm going to throw a bunch of them out there and just kind of let you get your words in. So there's new, right. there's new capabilities like X bind. I'm super excited about that, but there's also stuff like split view, relative panel, uh, the visual state groups and adaptive triggers, um, transform 3d and all that stuff. So all right, let's do it one at go, a time.
1: <laughs> let's, let's start with X So, um, the absolute best part of XAML is the fact that it can data bind. The absolute worst part of XAML is the fact that it can data bind, right? And so uh, data binding is what makes it so productive, but data binding is also what hurts its performance so much as well. So you use it in moderation, no big deal. You never never even notice it happening. But developers tend to put lots of stuff in, right? We're, we're Now we're data binding 200 fields, 300 fields, 2,000 fields, each with their own converter and on and on it goes. Yep. And so that becomes pretty expensive pretty fast, and we see all these issues where you're trying to load a form that has tons and tons of fields and it doesn't load and you start blaming the framework, but it's really not the framework or the platform. Really it is you having so many data bindings and why is it so expensive? Because it's runtime reflection that's doing all the work. That was never a big deal until it got kind of out of hand. That's what XBind is, it's a new type of binding that is no. That no longer is um, runtime reflection. It all is compile time binding, which basically means it reads all your binding syntax oh. as you compile your application, validates all of it, ty- and type. You can't use duck typing anymore, which means you have to have strong typed um, view models. And um, and then it runs all. And then it's tons faster because nothing is using reflection anymore. Is it like how much faster? It is
0: like a getter setter then essentially behind the scenes.
1: That's what it's doing.
0: Awesome. That's awesome. doing. I mean, that's yeah.
1: that's like. I mean, the there's big... a new binding element, but that I mean, if you really dig into it, I mean, fundamentally, that's what's going
0: on. Because that's the big thing now that uh, that all languages really need to have that that really almost no languages I've seen have had it, which is basically observable types. And I know JavaScript and uh, ES6 is basically adding like observable types. And then same with like C sharp, you know, like out of the box, you can't like watch an int, you know, you have to keep checking it or you have to wrap it in something or you know, use reflection or, you know, something like that. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool to hear that there's uh
1: Well, of course XAML has, has had observable types since the beginning. Right. And so, yeah, but it's that's not one what I'm saying is C,
0: Yeah, C sharp didn't. You relied on something to to like basically wrap that and and make it ugly to the to the developer, you know, because you've seen that yeah. you've seen like okay, I have a collection. Oh, it's not observable. I need observable collection. Oh, you know, I have a property. I have an int. Well, that's not observable. So I need like an, you know, an observable int or something. Totally know like what you mean.
1: So that's still the same, by the way, mm-hmm. that hasn't changed. So okay. fundamentally I notify property changed and, and observable collection are exact. Yeah. They work exactly the same. That hasn't changed really at all. And, you know, it's a fun thing just to throw out, you know, there's a lot of changes to uh, C sharp that are coming. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are just waiting for that, um, notifiable kind of right. attribute that you'll put over a property. And it's just worth saying now, look, I've already talked to the C sharp team. This will never happen. Right? <laughs> it will never happen. So you're going to always have to write something to, to make sure that you're, it's
0: gotten way great. easier though. Cause you can, it used to be that you actually had a hard code, um, the name of the property into your code.
1: Yeah, you got name. Yeah, up and
0: now you get name of, which is huge. That's huge. So now it's it's much more reasonable. Yeah, being able to get the the name of the property that was that was passed in. Um, so I think I think we've I think it's been like sufficiently fixed, at least from my perspective. It it used to be terrible, and I guess I'm I'm okay with it being not terrible anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now <laughs> to it's, me, that's your good. Property is a whole two lines. Yeah. <laughs> But we're so obsessive that we all want it to be there.
0: Because <laughs> yeah, I'm going to screw up one of those lines. <laughs>
1: <clears throat> so- and Carl, so when, when you don't want to use XBind is important, right? Yep. And so um, you want to use XBind in a gigantic list. You want to use XBind in a gigantic form stuff like that. But there are some, some caveats to XBind you should know straight away. Um, one of them is um, update source trigger doesn't exist in XBind. And so that's a big deal for text boxes. So a text box, you're typing, you know, update source triggers, the thing that updates the background model um, immediately rather than when you lose focus. So, uh, lose focus is still there, but some people always choose property changed so that you get that update like straight away. And that's that does not happen. That is not part of X-Pine, at least today. Um, another thing that is least worth noting as far as caveat is... Um, the there is no data context right your data context is always your your code behind which sounds you know like blasphemy for the mvvm guys out there but the reality is all you need is a property on your code behind that is your mvvm it just has to be strongly typed right you can't use data context anymore because the type of data context is object and that's not strongly typed right you want to get all of your properties and stuff only reflection could take an object and turn it into something that actually has properties and we don't want that we want it to be strongly typed so i just create a view model property and give it that The type of my either interface or or whatever my view model is. The third thing that's kind of a trick is. What what were the first two? (laughs) Update update (laughs) target quiz. (laughs) Update source target. uh, The um update source target. The code. And the other one was the 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 strongly
0: typed uh, property.
1: You have to have strongly typed properties, Mm -hmm. and then so good. So now there's four. And the fourth one is there's no design time data. That's a big one. Ah. How many developers have sent me emails saying I can't get design time data to work, Jerry? That's because it doesn't work. Right now, the way uh, Visual Studio um, uh, interprets uh, x mm-hmm. is just to tell you the property name. And so you see it and it's just the property name. I'm sure that will change. I don't know that that will change, but I can't imagine it wouldn't change because the design time experience is now, you know, that's a fraction of how awesome and rich it was when you had um, regular. Well, yeah,
0: because you could avoid like running the program and making changes over and over again whenever you change the, the design
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Although I, me being, you know, not that great at XAML, I always had a hard time getting that design time experience hooked up anyway. So
1: (laughs) yeah, you're the only one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. That's a common question on stack Overflow. It's so hard. It's so finicky. So finicky. It's tricky. It's, it's like, it's so easy to get it wrong. And that, that's the thing. And it's, it's a problem because it's like five moving parts, Mm -hmm. but I mean, you know, accuracy is developers' forte anyway. We know to put a semicolon at the end of the line, yep. sort of thing. So there you go. You can get it right yeah.
2: Uh, what else did you oh, have on the, the other list there, Carl? So, yeah. So split view. I know this was uh, pretty contentious, depending upon which circle you're in.
1: Yeah. What a funny, what a funny argument that is, isn't it? I mean, whether or not to have a hamburger button. I mean, people. The, really oh, the argument what this about? is Okay. Yep. Yeah. Really, the argument is, you know, you shouldn't have a hamburger button. And uh, if you look at the, the control set that Microsoft's providing, we're like, okay. But if you do want one, here's a control for it, <laughs> right? It's that sort of thing. And um, that is the number one request. So this template 10 is out there. And um, and by the way, it's at aka.ms slash template 10, if anybody wants okay. it, right? It's it's all in process to RTM. But you can go play with it all you want. You can, their pull requests are awesome. And anyway, I say all that to say, the number one question I get on that stupid template is how to implement split view, right? Over and over. Because, I mean, as, as much as, you know, these, guys who write these blog articles, who show these A-B testing that, you know, nobody ever uses hamburger button. I mean, they may be right now, but if they haven't looked at Windows 10, man, the hamburger button is freaking everywhere. People are going to learn soon because we're going to teach them. And so you might as well jump into it. But if you're one of those guys who hates it, just don't use it. That's kind of the the argument. But yeah, that's what the split view is. The split view is an easy implementation for the hamburger button. And it's tough to implement. I wrote a a blog, like a 4 billion word blog article trying to talk through all the steps you need to go to really have a great one. And, uh, you know, everybody's implementation of a of a hamburger menu changes, to be honest, Mm -hmm. you know, some guys use it to wrap up all their menu items into a little box. Some put all their menu items somewhere else, but then that's like sub items or just commands, or there's a million ways to implement it. It's kind of up to you. Yeah. I think, I don't know know what to say. It's just kind of
0: weird. Yeah. Based on like the recent builds of windows 10 to me looking at it, it looks like most of the design and I'm not a designer, but it seems to be like well-designed to me um, I think, I think, <laughs> Well <said. laughs> I think, but I think they're, you know, me, me, so, so me as a, I'm not a doctor,
1: but you look, yeah. <laughs> me,
0: <laughs> but me, but me as a, as a developer, I'm using air quotes me as a developer, you know, if I'm writing an app, what, of course, what I'm going to do, if I have the hamburger button, I'm just going to throw everything in there. You know, I'm just going to, yeah. I'm just going to poorly design, but guess what? My apps were going to suck anyway. So, you know, <laughs> it's either <laughs> now, sucking now with good. or without the hamburger. <laughs>
1: That's great. That's great. Yeah, Windows 10 is like hamburger heaven, man. There's hamb- there are hamburgers <laughs> everywhere, right? Here's now the there's the, say, there's the headline. There's the quote, Jason. Jerry
0: Nixon, CEO, says, <laughs> oh, "Why is hamburger Microsoft heaven.
1: calling Windows Hamburger yeah, Heaven?" Yeah, why? Why are they making such a <laughs> such a
0: big investment in hamburgers? <laughs>
1: Ah, that's right. We've quit. We've stopped all development on everything else. <laughs> is it
0: for the real the estate, or, or is it because of the burgers? We don't know.
1: That's right. Conspiracy <laughs> within an Out Burger. <laughs> oh boy. Okay, where were we? Uh, the other one was Transform 3D. Wasn't that on your yep, list? Yep, Carl? that was on the list. Transform 3D is awesome, by the way, and it's probably one of the understated features of XAML that was introduced. And the best way to describe it is probably to look at an iPhone. And so, you know, the home screen of an iPhone, you know you can see the buttons, and as you tilt the phone, the buttons kind of move around. It's sort of gamey, but it gives you this kind of 3D parallax feel that the buttons are somehow floating over the screen. So in order to accomplish that in XAML for the 8.1 spec, right, we're we're back in the 8.1 days... That was a lot of work. You had to do a lot of calculations to get that looking just right. Because if you were... If your button was on the right side of the screen, you wanted to show a deeper shadow. If it was in the middle of the screen, you wanted to show a more shallow shadow. You know what I mean? And so you had to do tons of calculations. And what happens if they resize your app and move things around? It was very difficult. This kind of an immersive experience was just a challenge. You do it all with matrix transforms. Um, So the Transform 3D is on top of the matrix transform, basically to give this immersive experience. And so, like, have you seen the new start menu Mm -hmm. where the tile flips like a... Like, a, yeah, it's like, like a, a box, yeah, it, it actually has
0: depth. It like pops out of the screen and then sort of flattens again.
1: Yeah. So I, I, I am, I'm writing a, a blog article right now showing how you could do that too. And it's all with the transform 3d. Okay. I mean, the transform 3d enables all the grooviness that you really couldn't do before. And so it's pretty cool. Um, and kind of the unsung hero right now, right? Nobody's really talking about, Ooh, what about transform 3d? They're all talking <laughs> about inking and Cortana. See, that's why this show things.
0: exists. We're here to talk about Transform yeah. 3D, so
1: we can talk about the minutia. Microsoft Minutia is the <laughs> podcast you're listening. There to
0: you today. go. Am I is my voice siloning? Nope. And do I sound okay? <laughs> okay. It's just. It's but
1: your eyes are going back my... and forth. It,
0: uh, was there anything else on your list there, Carl, for uh, features that you want him to talk about?
2: One of the ones I wanted to bring up, just because you mentioned it earlier, is visual state groups and adaptive triggers.
1: Yeah, that's a big deal. Um, part of it is, you know. Visual state groups haven't changed at all. I mean, that's the best way to think of it, right? All the way back to to WPF, visual state groups holding visual states have always been there, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason you have groups is so you can have more than one visual state active at one time. And that's... That hasn't changed. It's just now we're saying, look, you may not have dabbled with digital states before. You have to now because as you start resizing from on a desktop experience, that's not that big of a deal. You could potentially handle it. But then as it starts to run on a phone or an Xbox or some other device you might might have, like a tablet, and you want to change it really easily, man, if you're rewriting all of your XAML, or if you have a screen for each of those, you're going to have Flickr, tons of code, a terrible experience honestly visual states is where the, where to go but it did have some gaps right some features that were sort of missing that didn't make it as easy as it could have been like switching between visual states like when, what are you going to listen to to switch between visual states and i've got three views by the way and they all need to switch the same way it's a bummer i have to reuse all that code so now you can encapsulate the switching logic into triggers and so we ship one out of the box right the height width based one but then you could write your own custom triggers that are based on honestly, absolutely anything. They're just C sharp and you just set a Boolean inside a class and then it automatically switches between whatever Visual State you want. So, But that was a big improvement is that now you can have reusable triggers inside Visual State. And the other one is setters. It used to be that you had to use like a full storyboard to animate from like visible to collapsed. And there's no real animation between that. So you had to use these object keyframes to do the whole work. And that was tons of overhead that you just didn't need because why do I have to have a story storyboard? Why do I have to do all these things? You really didn't. So now we have just setters. So if you have a scalar value, you just want to set from one to another, you can do that in a visual state too. So um, those are the big, imp- those are the only two improvements. Those are the absolute only changes to visual states is the introduction of setters and uh, adaptive triggers. But they really enable them in a neat way too, so... Uh, I th- I'm glad you brought it up because developers who don't use visual states are likely doing it wrong, right? They're probably creating storyboards all over the place to make their UI switch around when that's not what you're supposed to do. I mean, that is not the way it is tuned. It is tuned for visual states. And if you're using visual states, more than likely you're using blend. And if you're using visual states without blend, you are, I mean, it's the hardest way you could do it. You, I mean, you open up blend, it's click, click, and you're done. Do it all in visual studio. If you're paid by the hour, it's awesome. If you're not, you are typing so much for nothing.
0: Okay. And we, uh, yeah, we need to wrap this up pretty soon before I get yelled at
1: In that case. I'll, I'll jump to my, I, was
0: gonna question say, I think, right I think,
2: I think you just have one last question, right, Carl. All right. So uh, people who know you know that, uh, you're a big fan of star Trek and, I, <laughs> and, and I know that you really like getting people to do the Vulcan salute. So what is the, the largest group of people that you have instigated <laughs> to do the Vulcan salute in one set, one setting? <laughs>
1: Um, here in Denver we have Denver Dev Day now it's a community run kind of event and uh, I got all of them to do it for a big group photo they, it was 230 got doing oh wow it at the same time <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome I mean it's such a big group that I had to stand back really far you know and so you, you can all you see really is their hands are up but I know I know what's going yeah. on oh yeah I'm a, I'm a huge Star Trek fan man you're absolutely right yeah
0: me too absolutely me right. too
1: uh, Star Trek Beyond they just named the next movie yeah, yeah, oh, really? yeah I saw that yep very cool. So that's kind of cool.
0: Uh, anything else you want to mention on XAML before we move on?
1: Well, I think if, if nothing else, it's worth developers knowing that XAML, um, the new UIs inside Windows are all written in XAML now. Um, the next version of Office is all written in XAML now. And if you look at all of our first-party apps that ship, the MSN apps, they're all the inbox apps. They're all written in XAML as well, right? And so there's so much in XAML that there wasn't before. And this focus on performance and and capabilities that was just not there before, all Windows XAML, by the Mm -hmm. way. And so if you're like, wow, I wonder if I should dabble on this or is this, they're going to pull the rug out from under me just like Silverlight, you know, don't be that guy. But if you need some sort of proof so you can tell your boss, you're like, look, I'm serious, you can tell them that. Look, Windows is slowly trying to um, consolidate all of its UI work into a single platform, yep. and that platform is going to be XAML, Office, MSN. It's really great. It's really great for us. And yep. honestly, it's great for me, the guy who loves XAML. I mean, we all kind of had our doubts for a while, right? We're like, oh, no. But now it's a great story. It's a it's a great story. I mean, I, ha- needless to say, Carl, XAML will live long.
0: <laughs> I know where this is going.
1: <laughs> I didn't want to say anything else. I didn't and prosper. Say, you know,
0: Oh, there you, go. <laughs> you You can't leave it hanging like that it's like a it's like an open <laughs> parenthesis there
1: it is it is it's really if you need closure that would drive you yeah crazy. okay
0: that was awesome okay carl what do we got for the app of the week
2: uh the app of the week is uh everybody by now knows that i like games that you can just get into do real quick and just drop at the time of a hat this is another one it's called one more line and essentially what it is is you're like this little craft or whatever that you leave a trail behind you and you're going straight and there's just this narrow corridor of the phone that you're just traveling down straight. And there's these little circles and you can kind of attach yourself to the gravitational pull of these uh, by tapping your finger finger down. And by doing that, you can move left and right and circle around them and, and, and spin and just change direction. Um, it is that simple. That's all the controls. But it's also really frustratingly hard to get far. I was
0: going to say, how uh, many how many hours of my time have you just wasted by making me install this app? <laughs>
2: About as many as uh, when you suggested agar.io. <laughs> okay.
0: Good. So well, the, other,
2: the other cool thing is this, it doesn't matter what you have for a phone, uh, Windows phone, Android iOS, and it's on big windows too. Okay. So we'll have links to all those in the show notes. Uh, if you like uh, wasting your time, small pieces at a time, this is definitely the game for you. That's the only way to do it. Uh, okay. Jerry,
0: we have a game that we plan here. What I need you to do is pick a number between one and four. And I'm going to ask you a question.
1: Seven. <laughs> Okay, mod four. Uh,
0: yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, number, I was thinking the same thing. Car. we're such geeks.
1: <laughs> number uh, yeah, four, it's based in.
0: Okay, number four. Would you rather have a private jet and pilot ready to use whenever you like, or have parents who own a major league baseball team?
1: Oh, I'd rather have parents who own a major league baseball team. Even,
0: this is a game for kids, but you know that's okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. What would
2: you want? Ah. <sighs> I'm thinking I, that if your parents can own a major league baseball team, you're probably going to get a lot of whatever else.
0: No, you want. no, we can't, you can't make right. that assumption. Like I'm going to make like that. Barely, assumption. No, they're barely getting by. Oh,
1: they own the worst. team yeah, ever. That's they, always losing. It's about to go bankrupt. Yeah,
0: no, they're not about to go bankrupt. They, they just make zero profit. Like on the tax return, <laughs> like they do it as like an LLC oh, yeah. and it's like nothing. It's a non-profit they, they have to, <laughs> yeah, they still, they still have their day job. <laughs> that's, that's the way it works, Carl,
1: but you'd always get box seats so that, you know, no, I, I, I'm going to pick first. the
0: jet I'm picking the jet.
1: Where would you possibly?
0: Oh, man. we. I'd be just. You'd come to college. No, yeah. Like, I, that's what I would do. I'd be like, hey, Jerry, like, hey, let's hang out. And I'd just come down there right now.
1: Let's record this episode face to face. Yeah. yeah, yeah I'll cool.
0: bring everything. It's it's my own jet. Like, what's the difference? Just
1: Recording studio in the back. Yeah.
0: Okay, Carl, pick a number. One. One. Okay. Would you rather be in a deep lake five miles from shore in a rowboat with a slight, but st- I think you got this one before with a I slight, I but steady leak. Or be in a hot air balloon one mile high with a slight but steady leak.
2: Well, I would do the uh, the hot air balloon. Okay, you because would just, I mean because you'd you slowly land. you'd come down nice and soft. Yeah, you
0: would you would slowly go to safety. You would go from safety to safety slowly. In the boat, you'd go like safety to possible death. So <laughs> I think that I think that one's pretty.
1: Because th- this is the last version of Windows, I want the leaking. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Windows is like a leaking boat. No, <laughs> oh jeez.
1: Oh, Jason! No, 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 no! I need to be your PR no. manager, man. It's like
0: a falling hot air balloon. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh so Windows. Well, I is guess not like those two those. choices. Okay, we'll just cut the episode like five minutes ago.
1: No, <laughs> Windows like an operating system. <laughs>
0: okay, Jerry, where can people find you online? I know that you mentioned a couple, uh, a couple different things too, um, and we would like Template Ten, and we will yeah. obviously link to those in the show notes. But where, where can people go find you?
1: JerryNixon.com is the easiest. N-I-X-O-N like the president. It's amazing how many people don't know how to spell Nixon. Really? And how many people, I say, it's Nixon like the president, and they're like, the what? Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah, well, you know, people keep getting younger. That's the way (laughs) way it goes, I guess. (laughs) Okay, Carl, where can people find you? Oh, I like your address here. He's like, mvp.wpdevguy.com. Nice.
2: So, so one of the things that we did forget (laughs) to mention that we did uh, plan on mentioning a few episodes ago is I did get renewed as uh, Microsoft MVP again this year.
1: So, nice so that's always what's your specialty
2: uh windows platform so kind of fit in right in this conversation some leading questions if you didn't know
1: it i didn't know
2: (laughs) awesome (laughs) i don't uh i don't think i have my
0: applause machine all i have here is the no button so i'll do this instead (laughs) there you go all
1: right but anyway have you seen uh, jason have you seen free timer my app that has all the sounds i have not oh there's the app you need. Free timer okay. on Windows Store. Okay. Right, send lives. us the
0: link. We'll put it in. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes, too. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> So He's like, please don't.
1: It was sort of an experiment.
0: Okay, and you can find me at uh, ytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. And Jerry, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, if you ever want to come back, uh, you're not allowed. <laughs> no, no, I'm <laughs> just kidding. Is, Anytime you want to come back.
1: Guys, thanks for having me on. This is fun, man. I love this show. I'm so thrilled to be on it. Thanks again.
0: Be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, check out our links, show notes, and more. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash msdevshow. You can send us your comments and feedback directly to feedback at msdevshow.com.